Hello, Darklings, and welcome to the Nocturnal Mysteries Podcast, a show about the paranormal, supernatural, mysterious, and things that go bump in the night. I'm your host, Jenny. Please come and join me. Sit down and place your fingers on the planchette, and let's jump right into this nocturnal mystery. Listener, would you consider yourself superstitious? I know that I definitely do. Irrational as they may be, we all have a superstition or two, whether it's a lucky pair of pants or an aversion to Friday the 13th. Superstitions are important to us because they give meaning to the often random nature of luck and make us feel like we're in the driving seat of our own destiny. Superstitions come from all over the world and are widespread. Knocking on wood originates in the Indo-European or Celtic belief that spirits, good and bad, resided in trees, who could be either called upon for protection or chased away by knocking on their home. Throwing salt over your shoulder originated in ancient Rome and is used to ward off evil, mainly the devil himself. In Da Vinci's The Last Supper, Jesus' betrayer, Judas Iscariot, is portrayed as having accidentally spilled salt. Since Judas was associated with doing something bad, the argument goes that so was salt, and throwing it over your shoulder would blind the devil waiting there. Since in other versions of the superstition, as Old Scratch was thought to reside just over your left shoulder ready to tempt you, the salt was thrown to the left. Many believe that the sheer value of salt alone in ancient times led to the belief that to spill it was to incur bad fortune, requiring a corresponding ritual or act of penance to prevent worse loss from occurring. Fear of walking under a ladder has European, Christian, and possibly Egyptian roots and comes from the Christian symbolism for the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and has led to an association of the number three with something sacred. The triangle, with its three sides, came to be regarded as sacred as well. And a ladder, of course, forms a triangle. So naturally, to walk under that ladder would be to destroy the sanctity of the Trinity and thus incur punishment. The ladder's resemblance to a gallows also didn't help matters, nor did the fact that the obvious danger of something falling from it. The Egyptians apparently thought that one might accidentally spot a god going up or down a ladder, and so avoided it. The belief that a broken mirror brings bad luck most likely has its origins in the simple fact that reflections of ourselves are uncanny and often unnerving, so humans have long had bad associations with them. Take, for example, the Greek myth of Narcissus, or the idea that a crack in a mirror would somehow break its charm or trap one's soul. It was the ancient Romans, however, who contributed the notion that a broken mirror would bring seven years of bad luck, since it was believed that only poor health would cause a mirror to crack. The number seven was seen by the Romans as the number of years required to complete a full life cycle of sickness and renewal. As a result, a broken mirror meant you were headed toward a death spiral that may take seven years to escape. 
It was believed that you could prevent that horrible outcome by gathering the broken pieces of the mirror and burying them by moonlight. The curse of the evil eye is a common belief spanning the Mediterranean, Middle East, and South Asia that has been held for thousands of years. It is said that to achieve too much success would be to invite the anger or inspire the envy of the gods who would then smite the unfortunate individual with a reversal of fortune. In response to the fear of this curse, people across the ancient Mediterranean began fashioning amulets and beads with an image of an evil eye, sometimes referred to as Nazars, which would then help them ward off that horrible, untoward fate. Given the belief in medieval Europe that the devil and witches were capable of taking the form of black cats, it makes sense that the superstition surrounding crossing their paths was developed. Many believed that a black cat crossing your path might very well be on a mission from a witch, or it could be the devil in disguise. This explains why a black cat crossing your path is considered a bad omen. This notion continued into the Renaissance, when a black cat crossing your path might have indicated that a witch had sent her familiar to do you harm. Many peasants of the day would rush to the nearest church and pay for a priest to bless them and rid them of any curse that might have been laid by the cat. This was a source of income for the church, so such fears may have likely been encouraged. But the idea that black cats are bad luck isn't universal. In fact, in some cultures, they believe that black cats can bring good luck. Like the fear of the word for in China hinging on the similarity in its pronunciation to the Chinese word for death, the Japanese similarly tuck in their thumbs when in a cemetery visiting the graves of dead relatives. This comes from the connection between the Japanese word for thumb and its meaning as the parent finger. To tuck in one's thumb inside a cemetery then is to protect one's parents from death. Opening an umbrella indoors is supposed to bring bad luck, though the origins of the belief are murky. There are legends abound, from a story of an ancient Roman woman who happened to have opened her umbrella moments before her house collapsed, to the tale of a British prince who accepted two umbrellas from a visiting king and then died within months. On this episode, I will be discussing the origins of the fear of Friday the 13th and a club that tried to dissuade superstitions, the 13 Club. Fear of Friday the 13th is a more western superstition that is so widespread nowadays that it has its own word which comes from the Greek words for Friday and 13 and is as terrifying to pronounce as some see the day itself. If you suffer from a fear of the state, then you have Paraskeva decatriophobia, which is also known as Frigatriscadecophobia. Even if you personally don't put stock into this fear, there are a lot of people who do. In 2010, CNBC reported that the Stress Management Center and Phobia Institute estimated that between $700 to $800 million are lost every Friday the 13th in a normal year because people are too afraid to shop, travel, and conduct business. But where does this fear come from? How far back can it be traced? 
The fear of Friday the 13th seems to be a combination of two other superstitions joined together to form one. These are fear of the number 13 and fear of Friday, or at least the belief that it's an unlucky day. First, looking at the number 13. Fear of this number is called Triskaidekaphobia, another Greek combination, this time of the words 10, the word and, and the word 3. There are numerous stories that give reasons as to why this number is considered unlucky. One story is that it comes from Norse mythology and involves the trickster Loki. According to the original story, Loki arrived at a dinner at Valhalla as a 13th and uninvited guest, and through his shenanigans, tricked the blind god Hodor into killing his brother Baldur who was the favorite son of King Odin of Asgard and his wife, Queen Frigg. Baldur's death then initiated the fall of the gods, known as the Ragnarok. Another explanation given is that 13 refers to the number of guests at the Last Supper in the New Testament, eaten before the day Jesus was crucified. These guests were Jesus himself, plus his 12 disciples, including the betrayer, Judas Iscariot, who was supposedly the 13th guest to arrive. Then there are the claims of numerologists, who argue that the number 12 is perfect. Just think of the 12 months of the year, the 12 zodiac signs, the 12 days of Christmas, 12 blocks of the day, and the aforementioned 12 disciples of Jesus. This then created the belief that the number 13 is therefore unlucky as it is beyond perfect, but not in a good way. Whether you believe in it or not, this superstition has undoubtedly affected the world around us. We could see examples even in architecture. Many buildings are 13-less. No 13th floor, no apartment 13. Many believe that apartments, hotel rooms, or what have you would be harder to rent on the 13th floor. Some airlines also do not have a row 13. It has also been said that the French dislike having 13 at the dinner table as it is believed that one of the diners will die within a year. There are also cases where those who believe in this superstition will point to infamous events that have some relation to the number 13 and the danger it brings. A perfect example of this is the Apollo 13 lunar mission. After launching on Saturday, April 11, 1917 at 2.13 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, it soon suffered a near-catastrophic explosion whilst in space. This disaster almost killed the three-man crew, however, they all made it back to Earth, which some may say is incredibly lucky. Some also point to incidents that happened on Friday the 13th as proof that it's unlucky. Incidents like the bombing of Buckingham Palace during World War II, the death of Tupac Shakur, and the Costa Concordia cruise ship running aground in Italy all occurred on Friday the 13th. As for how long, reasons such as these have been around, although there are links to mythological and biblical origins around the fear of 13, it was not until 1690 that superstition around having 13 people at the dinner table began appearing in documented evidence, and only in the mid-19th century that a more widespread fear of the number started to become more common. It is said that Winston Churchill would refuse to sit in the 13th row of the theatre. Now, 
What about the fear of Fridays? As with the number 13, there are numerous supposed explanations for this fear. Fridays were not always looked upon with superstition. Remember earlier how I mentioned King Odin's wife, Frigg, Queen of Asgard? The English word for Friday was inspired by her, literally meaning Day of Frigg. She was a powerful goddess of love and fertility in Norse mythology. With the coming of Christianity, these pagan connections were no longer popular and the queen's story was altered to make her a mountain-dwelling witch who would plan her upcoming evil every Friday. Returning to the Bible, Jesus' crucifixion took place on a Friday. There are even some theories that state events like Eve giving Adam the apple, Cain killing his brother Abel, and the Great Flood all happened on a Friday. These theories are unproven, although many biblical scholars believe them to be true. One of the first literary references to Friday bringing misfortune was written between 1387 and 1400 by English author Geoffrey Chaucer in his most famous work, The Canterbury Tales. He writes of some misfortune which had befallen his characters that, quote, and on a Friday fell all this mischance. Another reference can be seen in a pamphlet from 1592 entitled Green's Grossworth of Writ. It was published in London and supposedly written by English author Robert Green. It included the line, quote, The fox made a Friday face, counterfeiting sorrow. Literary references like these only added to the general perception that Fridays are a bad day. Friday was also traditionally the hangman's day in Britain and later in America. Clearly, a dislike of the number 13 and Fridays has been around for centuries. But when did the two come together to create a fear of Friday the 13th? We're not exactly sure of the historical evidence as to how Friday the 13th became synonymous with bad luck and superstition. There are many theories that date back to earlier centuries, but most of them have been completely debunked. It wasn't until the 19th century, however, that Friday the 13th became synonymous with misfortune. As Steve Rout explains in The Penguin's Guide to Superstitions of Britain and Ireland, the combination of Friday and the number 13 is a Victorian invention. Oddly enough, it may well have been an attempt by a group of people to disprove the superstition around the number 13 and Fridays, along with many others, which inadvertently gave rise to the Friday the 13th beliefs. In 1881, William Fowler started a society known as the 13 Club. Its purpose was to disprove as many superstitions as it could. In Fowler's time, fear of the number 13 was most often associated with the Last Supper. This belief was common enough to interrupt social occasions. Such luminaries as Victor Hugo would reportedly leave a table if exactly 12 other people were there. Fowler himself, though, thought this was rubbish. He lived a very happy life. And as he grew older, he realized that the number 13 featured repeatedly in his life. He had attended PS 13 and graduated at age 13. During a brief stint as an architect, he built 13 public buildings. 
Later, he fought in the Union Army and survived 13 battles. Eventually, he adopted the number as a sort of good luck charm. Fowler, like many other men of his time, had another great love, social clubs. He eventually belonged to, you guessed it, 13 of them. In the late 19th century, club life proved an easy way to make friends, eat lavish meals, and in some cases, engage in various themed pursuits. New York City boasted a large number of these clubs, from the more traditional lotto and union clubs to the Liars Club, a club for men who love to trick each other, and the Candor Club, a club for the brutally honest. When Fowler took over the Knickerbocker Cottage, he decided it was time to found his very own club. Its aim, he decided, would be to fight the fear of 13 and various other superstitions by engaging in as many unlucky practices as possible. Although it took him nearly a year to gather up 12 other members, after their very first meeting, the 13 Club began to grow, largely thanks to Fowler's sense of humor and pitch-perfect flair for the Gothic. Menus generally numbered 13 courses and wine lifts were often shaped like gravestones. On September 13, 1881, the inaugural meeting of the 13 Club was held in Room 13 of Knickerbocker Cottage. Twelve expectant men sat around the table. The meal was all set out, big platters of lobster salad, each molded into the shape of a coffin, surrounded by 13 crawfish. The decorations were perfect, 13 candles exactly, and a big banner that read Nos Mortatari to Salatamus. Latin for we who are about to die salute you. They were just waiting on one man. When an hour or so passed and the last guest hadn't shown himself, the, dun the dinner's host, William Fowler, took matters into his own hands. Smiling, he grabbed a nearby waiter who immediately began trembling. Fowler was just about to put the waiter through some initiation rites when the tardy invitee finally arrived. The frightened waiter was released and the first 13 toasts was made. And thus began the first meeting of the 13 Club. Members came dressed in black suits, neckties, and top hats. Before sitting down, they made a point of walking under a ladder, which was brought indoors for the occasion. Quote, the atmosphere was funeral and suggested a feast at which only undertakers were bidden, the New York Times wrote of an April 1882 meeting, which featured a cake with a black cat on it. Other meetings included mirror smashing, salt spilling, and mock trials of members who had purportedly acted suspiciously. When they weren't tempting fate at dinner, the 13 club's members advanced their causes in other ways. They wrote to local officials, asking them to rehabilitate Friday's unlucky reputation by including judges to select some other day for hangings. They boasted high-profile honorary members, including Grover Cleveland, Chester A. Arthur, and Theodore Roosevelt. Some insisted on sitting only at tables of 13, even at other club meetings. Word of their exploits spread quickly, and the 13 clubs soon enjoyed a certain amount of popularity. 
1886 dinner on Coney Island brought in 400 attendees. Chapters opened up in Chicago, France, and England. Sub-branches also began to pop up. In 1891, New York's flagship 13 Club began inviting women to certain dinners. Each one received a welcome gift, a tiny glass bottle of perfume with a stopper shaped like a human skull. Two years later, 13 women opened up their very own chapter in Iowa. Despite this burgeoning popularity, though, some remain unimpressed. Quote, the club has shown that it is as ignorant of the nature of ill luck as it is reckless in trifling with it, wrote one opponent in the Times. Bad luck did occasionally rear its head. At one club meeting, a waiter fractured his skull when the traditional indoor ladder collapsed on him. Another time, someone blew up the New Jersey clubhouse with dynamite. The members inside escaped with bruises. The club ran into some crying wolf problems, too, after one New York meeting place collapsed in 1888, causing several injuries. Officers were so busy joking about it that the club had to badger them for an investigation. Fowler passed away suddenly in 1897, and in the following decades, this particular type of club life began to filter out. Starting around the mid-1920s, searching for the 13 Club in newspaper archives brings up only obituaries of its former members. But some unexpected bits of the legacy live on. According to one contemporary reporter, the 13 Club may be inadvertently responsible for one of today's most iconic bad luck charms, Friday the 13th. Although both Friday and the number 13 have both been considered unlucky for centuries, it is possible that no one made it a point to combine them until the 13 Club in their zeal to disprove each of them. The club may have created a brand new superstition instead. A short Times article from 1887 also suggests that the club may have had a hand in a piece of constant good fortune, the weekend. That year, Justice David McAdam, a 13 Club branch president and member of the New York City Court, declared Saturday an official half-holiday, during which public offices must close afternoon. He did this, he said, partially to restore more esteem to Friday, a 13 Club priority. About four decades later, in 1929, the Amalgamated Clothing Workers of America successfully demanded a five-day work week. After the end of the 13 Club, Friday the 13, as a harbinger of bad luck, began popping up in literary works. In 1907, Thomas Lawson wrote the book Friday the 13th, which is about a stockbroker who chose this day to deliberately crash the stock market. One year later, in 1908, the New York Times became one of the first media outlets to acknowledge the superstitions of Friday the 13th. Later, in the 1980s, the popularity of the Friday the 13th movie franchise only added to the cultural phenomenon. As I stated earlier, the fear of Friday the 13th is more of a Western superstition, but there are similar dates that are prevalent in other cultures. In Spanish-speaking countries, instead of Friday, Tuesday the 13th is considered a day of bad luck. 
The Greeks also consider Tuesday, and especially the 13th, an unlucky day. Tuesday is considered dominated by the influence of Ares, the god of war. The fall of Constantinople to the Fourth Crusade occurred on Tuesday, April 13, 1204, and the fall of Constantinople to the Ottomans happened on Tuesday, May 29, 1453, events that strengthened the superstition about Tuesdays. In addition, in Greek, the name of this day is Treaty, meaning the third day of the week, adding weight to the superstition, since it is said that bad luck comes in threes. There is a Tuesday the 13th every month that begins on a Thursday. In Italian popular culture, Friday the 17th and not the 13th is considered a bad luck day. The origin of this belief could be traced in the writing of the number 17 in Roman numerals XVII. By shuffling the digits of the number, one can easily get the Latin word vixi, or I have lived, implying death at present, an omen of bad luck. In fact, in Italy, 13 is generally considered a lucky number. There is a Friday the 17th in months that start on a Wednesday. Over the last 400 years, we have seen 688 Friday the 13ths. Any month that starts on a Sunday contains a Friday the 13th, and there is at least one Friday the 13th in every calendar year. Most years have two of the ill-fated days, but the maximum number you will see is three. The next time we will see three in a calendar year is 2026. So regardless of how you feel about the day, make sure to stay safe. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the Nocturnal Mysteries podcast. To celebrate the month of October and my favorite spooky season, episodes will be dropping every week. If you'd like to keep up with the show, you can follow me on Instagram at Nocturnal Mysteries Pod, TikTok at Nocturnal Mysteries, Twitter at Pod, and there's also a Facebook group, Nocturnal Mysteries Podcast. You can join that as well. After the episode releases, I will post a picture of some of the things I talked about so you can get a visual and about any other interesting tidbits I can find out. If you have anything you'd like to hear me cover on the show, please don't hesitate to reach out on social media and let me know. Also, I'm honored to be part of Bad Secret Media with one of my personal favorite podcasts, The Secret Levels Podcast. You can go to badsecretmedia.com to find all the information on all the shows under the Bad Secret Media umbrella. If you would like to support the show, the best thing you can do is rate or review the show wherever you listen to it. This will help others find the show and share in the spooky with the rest of us. All episodes are researched and written by myself and edited by the man behind the mysteries, the show's executive producer, Toby Von Doom. The show would not be what it is without all the hard work he does with all of his editing magic. You can find him on social media at Toby Von Doom. Until next time, stay curious, stay weird, stay kind, and before leaving the board, don't forget to always say goodbye.